Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. We're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, Today, right after church... Uh, If you've uh, maybe started coming to church here the last few weeks, maybe you've been coming for a while and you've wondered, man, how do I get connected? How do I take a step? We do once a a month, uh, we do a thing called Intro to City Walk. And it's a little 45 minute lunch. We provide childcare and obviously food. And it gives you a chance to hear a little bit about the church, get some questions answered, uh, meet some of our staff. And so that's right after church today. It'll be over in the fellowship hall. We usually start about 15 minutes after we end in here. And we just wanted to invite you. Uh, you may have been coming here. You may have been coming here for a year and you just still haven't gotten connected. And I wanted to invite you. I mean, what else do you have to do for lunch? It's free lunch. So come hang out. Free child care. It's a date on us. Bring your wife. It's good. Uh, but that's right after church today. And we'd love to have you over in the fellowship hall uh, about 15 minutes after the service uh, gets done. So this week, and you you know this, and I've talked to some of you, I've talked to some of the students, and I've talked to some of the teachers and the different educators. We have several in our church and kind of ask them about the week. And and you guys know that the beginning of the school year and kind of the weeks leading up to it, man, it's it's kind of a busy time. And this past week for us, because school was getting started and we're kind of a little, we were a little bit late this year getting kind of school clothes and stuff. We, we decided to kind of get that done before things got started. So Tuesday, before Julia went to school on Wednesday, uh, Lori took her down to Roseville and was, you know, buying school supplies and, you know, just doing some school shopping. And, and usually, and maybe your family's like this as well, because, you know, Roseville is a few minutes away, when we go down to that area to go to the mall or we you know, got to get something somewhere, we usually have a few places we like to stop while we're there. Used to be crumble cookies, but now we got one of those here, so you don't have to do that. But, but for us, one of those kind of places that we always look to stop at is Chick-fil-A. I mean, it's you know, kind of what we're going to have in heaven anyway, so we might as well get used to it while we're here. But, but we usually stop at Chick-fil-A. I know for me, if I go to that area and, and like the best day ever for me is if I get a Chick-fil-A sandwich and a Phil's coffee, it's good. I think I'm probably in heaven at that point right then. But, but we do that. So, and you probably do too. You have maybe some favorite places. Maybe you're like Chick-fil-A is overrated, but I like to go to Cane's or, you know, something else. But you go there and you, man, you, you get those different things and kind of kill two birds with one stone while you're there. And so for us, one of those places is Chick-fil-A. And even if you're not a fan, maybe you're like, yeah, chicken sandwich is a little overrated there. Even if you're not a huge fan, one of the things that all of us kind of notice and we experience is, hey, when we go to Chick-fil-A, the experience you have at Chick-fil-A is just different from the experience you have 
at other people's restaurants that are in the same industry. I mean, you, you go to a Chick-fil-A and in the exact same parking lots of Wendy's. And, and there's like 312 cars in the Chick-fil-A park, you know, kind of the, the drive-through area. And they get you through in like three minutes. You go over to Wendy's to get a Frosty afterwards. There's three cars in the drive-through and it takes 20 minutes. And it's just different experience. And again, you, you may not be a huge fan of, of Chick-fil-A, but you, you would say it probably, hey, it's, it is a different experience than I get in other places like that. And, and one of the things I've always wondered when I experienced Chick-fil-A, and I even read a book by their founder, is why? Like, why is it different here than it is across the parking lot in a place that's in the same industry? Like, like why does Chick-fil-A, what, what do they do that other places don't? Like, what, are, what do they value that maybe other people in the same industry don't value? Maybe another question that I've thought is, hey, what's kind of the secret sauce for them? Like if they stop doing this, they would become like everybody else. Like what's, why are they better usually than anybody else? And why doesn't everybody else just do whatever they're doing so they can get better? And I, I've wondered that. And if, if you're thinking about a, a business or you're thinking about some secular organization, those are questions that are important. Because, man, in a, in a business, a lot's on the line. So, man, there's money on the line. There's people's jobs on the line. And so businesses ask those type of questions like, hey, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Why have things changed? What did we change that made it that happen? They ask those types of questions because there's a lot on the line. But what about church? I, I mean... Isn't church, I mean, I mean, if you, you really kind of think about it in the simplest form, I mean, isn't church like, man, aren't they all kind of the same? And isn't it, I mean, as long as we come in and, and we sing a few songs and somebody gets up on the stage and maybe reads some verses out of the Bible, won't the rest of it just kind of take care of itself? And the short answer is no. Because there's, there's story after story of churches that started with a compelling vision, with, a, with passionate people, that over time they got distracted, they, they lost focus, they stopped being salt and light in their community, and some of them, they died. They just died. They're not even in existence anymore. And, and others, which may be even worse than dying, they, they became churches that were very agenda-driven instead of Jesus-driven, and they hurt a lot of people in the mix. And by God's grace, we don't want to become like that. We don't want that to be our story, which is why over the next few weeks, we're going to spend some time looking into God's Word and reminding ourselves from God's Word who we are and what we should be doing. And whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, whether you're new to faith, maybe you're skeptical of the whole Jesus thing, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time, doesn't matter kind of where you are on that spectrum, you, you should lean into this series. You, you should lean in because what we're going to talk about, and specifically today, is the most important thing we do 
as a gathering. See, today, as we, we, we begin to kind of unpack this, we're going to talk about some of those things from Scripture that if we stopped doing them, if we said, you know what, those are no longer important, then we would die or we would become a church that, man, is, is not about what Jesus is about and maybe becomes about an agenda and hurts people in the mix. And for some of you, you've experienced that. And so today, as I said, we're going to talk about the, the most important. The, there's nothing more important than, than what we're going to talk about today as far as what we do from the Scripture as a church. And, and here, here it is. Here at City Walk, we keep Jesus the lead story. We believe what we believe because of Jesus. We invest in what we invest in because of Jesus. We treat people the way we do because of Jesus. There's, there would be no greater compliment that somebody could give this gathering than, hey, they're just a Jesus church. That would be the greatest compliment that somebody could give this gathering. See, Jesus is and will always be our lead story. And Paul, a guy in the scriptures that even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard of this guy. He was a guy that, man, wasn't always a big fan of Jesus. In fact, he was an opponent of Jesus for the first part of his life. And he was really good at being an opponent of Jesus. But when he met Jesus and Jesus transformed his life, Paul became one of the greatest voices for Jesus and his message really in history. And Paul, in a, in a letter that he wrote to a church in the city of Colossae, he, he took a portion of this letter and he focused on who Jesus is and why it's so important that Jesus be the most important, the lead story, supreme. And he starts in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 15. You'll see it up on the screen, or you can go into the app, and you'll, you'll see some notes in there. And it says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says this. He says, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. And so Paul, he, he starts this discussion. This, and again, he's writing a letter to real people. And he, he wants to communicate who Jesus is and why Jesus needs to be first and supreme and lead. And he starts this discussion with this idea that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It's, that word image means the exact visible representation of, of God. And, and, and Paul, he knew that there was nothing more important than this as, as people were considering Jesus. He knew there was nothing more important than the fact that Jesus isn't a God he isn't one of the gods. He isn't part of God. He is God, and he wanted to communicate that. And in another passage of Scripture where Jesus was interacting with his disciples, his disciples asked Jesus a question. They were, they were kind of confused. They were a little bit fearful about the future. And they said to Jesus, they said, in the midst of their confusion and in their fear, and they're kind of not knowing what was coming, they said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, could you just show us, God, just a small thing? We're kind of confused. We're a little afraid about the future. 
Would you just be able to maybe just show us God the Father? If you could do that, I think it would calm our fears. We'd be okay. And here's what Jesus' response was. In John 14, 9, he said this. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. Hey, hey, Philip, hey, disciples, uh, I know you want to see God the Father, and, and you've told me, hey, just show us God. If you'll just show us God the Father, we'll be good. And he says, well, you know what, I hate to disappoint you, but you actually have been looking at God for the last few years, because when you see me, you see God. See, and you know this, the last 10 or 15 years, we've had a new word come in. So we've had several new words, but a word that growing up I never used was the word selfie. So that wasn't even a word. If you would have said that when I was in high school, I'd be like, I don't even know what you mean. Are you speaking a different language? What is that? And, and, but, but we all know, doesn't matter what age you are, if I say the word selfie, you know what that is. And, and so, man, we've gotten really good at these selfies. So, I mean, you, you pull out your phone and you're, you're in front of the mountain or you're in front of the beach and, and you want everyone else to know. And so you, you maybe tighten things up with the makeup. You give it the stretch your your neck out a little bit so no one sees your double chin and you you kind of you know take the best picture possible then you look at it and then you probably take seven or eight more until you get just the right angles and everything and and when you do and and here's what's really good and you know this you can actually put a filter on that thing you, you can look a little tanner if you want some like lips a little bit bigger or a lot bigger you can do that if you would rather have longer eyelashes do all that i mean you can do all that and, and you can, I mean, you can do funny things, you can do scary things, you can do all that. But at the end of the day, when you take a selfie of you, even if you have a filter on it, when you look at that picture, you're seeing yourself. When Jesus takes a selfie, and obviously he's, if he wanted to, I guess he could. He, they didn't really, you know, Apple wasn't really a thing back then, but at least not that kind of Apple. Uh, but, but if Jesus were to take a selfie, and let's say Jesus was just here, and he's like, you know what? Church has been so good today. Let me just, let me get a selfie with my friend Glenn. And so, you know, he kind of take a picture. You know, when Jesus takes a selfie and he looks, you know who he sees? He sees God. When, when God takes a selfie, oh, I just, ah, oh, like, like what's happening today. Let me get that picture. When God takes a selfie and he looks at the picture, he sees Jesus. And that's what Paul was trying to say. It's just, this is not like a kind of God. This isn't one of the gods. Like when Jesus looks in the mirror, he sees God. When God looks in the mirror, he sees Jesus. Jesus is God. And Paul wanted, Paul was a real big fan of Jesus. And he wanted to communicate why Jesus should be supreme. One of the reasons he should be the lead story is he's God. But Paul goes on because, again, he's, he's a big fan of Jesus. And he says this, not only is he the image of the invisible God, but he says he's the firstborn over all creation. And when he says this, he doesn't mean that he was created. What he's saying, he's indicating God, Jesus' priority and that he is supreme over all the created order. He's saying, man, Jesus is in charge of creation. And he goes on and he explains it. He says this, for everything, not some things, not, no, everything. For everything was created by him, talking about Jesus, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, 
all things have been created through him and for him. See, in this setting, there were some people that were beginning to worship angels. And so Paul, as he was talking about this, he may have been like poking at them a little bit saying, hey, Jesus, even the angels, Jesus is above them. He created them too. And Paul wants to make clear that, man, not only is Jesus God and he's, he's the image of the invisible God, but he is creator. He, everything was created by him and through him and for him. See, then he goes on and he says this, and this is, this is, this is really cool to think about. He, in the very next phrase, he says this. He is before all things. That means before creation, he was there. And by him, all things hold together. That word hold and together, that that phrase. You probably have done this. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're here this morning. You've probably done this. You've probably at some point in your life, you've laid up in bed at night and you've thought about the universe. You've thought about forever. You've thought about maybe big thoughts and it's man if you if you lay there you'll you'll kind of keep yourself up at night thinking about stuff like like questions like you know what man the sun is 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 just far enough away from the earth to make sure that man we get warm when we need warm we are cold when you know it's different times of the year but if the sun were to move maybe 10,000 miles farther or closer we'd be a mess and who's holding that thing to get, like, who's making sure that doesn't happen? So I don't have to think about it, and you don't have to think about it. Who's thinking about that? And another question that, as you think about this idea of, man, holding things together, just think about how, how the earth turns. So think about it. And I know we have some, some science and some, some folks in here that teach this stuff, but, but just think about this. So the earth is about 25,000 miles at the equator. So, I mean, it's pretty big. And if the earth rotates in 24 hours, so we got some math people in the room. If it goes 25,000 miles, rotates in 24 hours, that means the earth is spinning at over 1,000 miles per hour. So that's pretty crazy. But not only is the earth spinning like this at 1,000 miles per hour, but you, the, another thing you learned in science is that the earth it's moving around the sun, so it's actually, you're, you're going to get dizzy when I tell you this, you're actually spinning in two ways. So you're spinning like this at about 1,000 miles per hour, while you're spinning like this at about 67,000 miles per hour. So that's happening while you're in church. That's been happening your whole life. What if it stopped? Who's making sure that if this thing keeps spinning? Who's holding things together? Like, what if the earth just stopped spinning? It wouldn't go well. We would be probably somewhere like the the earth would be scoured and we would be off somewhere in the universe as particles. I mean, just think about stuff like that. Like who's making sure that stuff stays together? And, And Paul says this, Jesus is the one that holds things together. He's the one that takes care of that so you don't have to sit up in your office and, and, you know, figure out how to make sure the earth spins. And how to make sure that the sun stays exactly where it's supposed to stay. Jesus is taking care of that. Because he is God and he created everything. And not only did he create everything, but he holds all things together. 
And Paul goes on and he says this, not only is he God and, and he's the image of God, not only does, did he create, he's holding, holding things together, but he says this. In verse 18, he says, he, Jesus, is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. He says, hey, Colossian people, you know, people in Colossae, I'm writing you this letter. I've told you that, that, God's, that Jesus is God and that he's created the world and all this stuff that you're learning in science, like Jesus is the one in charge of all that. But not only that, but you know this thing we call the church, this, this universal church where when somebody becomes a follower of Jesus, when somebody believes the good news that Jesus died for them and rose from the grave and they put their trust in Jesus, they become part of a universal church and Jesus is in charge. He's the leader. He's the head of it. And one of the reasons that he's the head of it is because he's the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. He's the one that said, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, and then he actually pulled it off. And Paul says, because of this, you're not the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the leader. It's about him. He deserves to be first place, supreme lead because of what Paul's already told us. And, and then he goes on as he's talking about Jesus and he's, he's talked about Jesus in, in different ways and what Jesus is and what he's done and what he is doing. But then he talks about maybe the most important thing that Jesus has ever done as it relates to us. He says this in verse 19. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He says, this Jesus, who I've told you is God, and he's creator, he's the head of the church, he he's, should be in first place, but man, he says, let, let me explain this to you. He says, not only all of those things, but Jesus, he, and he uses this word reconcile, like, wow, what's that mean? It, it, it means to restore to reestablish, maybe reestablish a right relationship. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, all the way back in Genesis, sin broke everything. Sin broke our relationship with God. Sin broke things in creation. It, it broke everything. And someone had to come and put it back together. Someone had to come that could take a broken relationship and restore it. And that person had to be someone who, who had not sinned themselves because how could they restore our relationship because of sin if they had to deal with their own sin? And so Paul says that Jesus came and he made peace. He was the reconciler, he was the one that took the enemy of God and God, and he brought them back together. 
And then Paul, he gets very personal with these people, and he says this. Once you, and basically he's saying this includes you. What I just said, this includes you. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. He's saying, you know what? You guys that are reading this letter, there there was a time in your existence that you were hostile towards God. There was a time in your existence where you were an enemy of God, where you were doing everything you could to run as far away from God as you could. You wanted nothing to do with him. You were, your heart was a mess and your heart being a mess showed itself out in your actions, your life. And he says, this isn't, this isn't something that's way out there, but he's saying, remember when this was you. Remember when you were the one that was an enemy of God. He, and, but then he says this, he says, but now. Like, this is what was, this is who you were, this is what was happening. But now, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy. To present you faultless. This idea of faultless means that Jesus, when he died for us, when he took our sin on himself and he paid for it, now we stand before God without a single fault. Faultless. He says, not only that, but you are blameless. This idea of of accusation. like, Like, you can't even be accused. Like Satan is the accuser and and he's coming to God saying, God, have you seen your servant? Have you seen what Chris Fincham's doing? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? And God says, no, I just just see that Chris is holy and righteous. I don't see that because you know what he's looking at? He's looking at me through Jesus and he sees righteous. So Satan, why, why are you even accusing? You can't even bring accusation against him. Because of what my son did. My son's already taken care of all that. My son's already fixed this. He's reconciled. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, you have been reconciled. You have been restored. You were once an enemy of God. And because of Jesus and what he did, you're reconciled. We could say it this way. In Christ, the accused are unaccused and the condemned are freed because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus did. And Paul, as he's he's writing this, he, he wants these people to understand who Jesus is and how who Jesus is just transforms their life and why Jesus should be, he uses the word supreme, first place. And he's almost building a case. Like, let me tell you about who Jesus is and why he should be first, why he should be supreme, why he should set the agenda for your life. And then he he closes a section in, in verse 23 and he says this, If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He's basically saying, he's saying, Paul, he's so confident 
that these people, because of what Jesus has done in them, the reconciliation that Jesus has done inside them, he's, he's so confident that this will lead them to a life of obedience. He says, you're, you're grounded. He said, this, this thing that it's inside of you, it's going to help you. It gives you hope. It's, it's, he says, it's stead, you're steadfast in the faith. He's, he's saying, you're going to be grounded. And basically, he's saying this as, as a way. He's basically saying, hey, I'm confident of this because of how you've been changed on the inside. Because of what Jesus has done. Because here's the thing. Reconciled people are different than they were before they were reconciled. That's the bottom line. If you... If you at some point in your life, maybe you're watching online, you're like, man, I think I was at a church and I think I said a little prayer or I raised my hand or I kind of walked an aisle if that's how they used to do it at your church. And, but yeah, nothing's really changed. And I would say you might want to check that because here's what Paul's saying. Like, man, if, if this is really taking place in you, you're going to be different. You're going to be changed. You're going to be steadfast. There's faith. There's, there's hope. There's change. When Jesus enters you and restores your relationship with God, it's transformational. And Paul knew this personally. In fact, he closes by saying this. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And for Paul, as of this writing, the message of Jesus has gotten to Rome which in this time period, Rome was kind of like the center of all of creation. It was, it was the middle of everything, power, politics, money. It was the center of the world. And, and the gospel, this message of reconciliation had reached even into Rome. And Paul says this, and I, Paul, I've become a servant of it. I, I'm a, this, this message of reconciliation, this message of Jesus I serve that message. That's what my life's about. And Paul, and I mentioned this earlier, Paul's testimony, in Paul's testimony, man, he was an enemy of Jesus. And he wasn't even one of these that tried to pretend he wasn't. Like, he wasn't one of these that was, like, trying to be good on the outside, but on the inside, he hated Jesus. Like, he hated Jesus on the inside, on the outside. He wanted to kill people that were part of what Jesus was doing. He wanted to stop the message of Jesus. Like, that's what his, he, he was very motivated to do that. That's his life before he was transformed. But then as he was on his way, and you can read about this in Acts, as he was on his way to continue to terrorize people that were followers of Jesus, Jesus stopped him. Jesus spoke to him, and Paul was never the same. Paul understood very clearly who Jesus was, why Jesus was first and supreme, how Jesus could change a life. Because he had experienced it. He had experienced it in a big way. And it had literally changed the agenda for the rest of his time on earth. When he met Jesus. Like Paul, we, we want to be a gathering that keeps Jesus the lead story. And, and honestly, there's nothing better that we could do for ourselves or for our community than that. There's nothing better and more impactful that we could do for ourselves and also for 
helping and serving in this community than making sure that we keep Jesus the lead story. See, maybe for you, maybe that's not what you've experienced. Maybe that's not what you experienced in the past. Maybe you're watching online. And, and for some of you, you, you have, may have been hurt. You may have been distracted because a church lost its focus on Jesus. And, and they made Christianity or this whole thing, they kind of made it about something else. And, and maybe for you, you were hurt deeply or you got distracted because where you were in your life, you, you were following and you, you believed, but yet you, as you began to watch, Jesus was no longer the story, it became something else. And it hurt you or distracted you. You, you, you saw guys like me that instead of putting their focus and talking about Jesus, they made this platform about pushing an agenda of some sort. And they would maybe sprinkle some Jesus on it to kind of, but at the end of the day, it was about something else. It was about an agenda. And, and for you, maybe that was confusing. And maybe for you, you you're like, man, I kind of dove into that. And here's the thing I, I, I've seen. For people that agreed with that agenda, it was like throwing red meat to hungry animals. But for people that really needed Jesus, it hurt them. It confused them. I remember, I remember several years ago, probably seven, eight years ago, we had a couple years where we were in, in the Midwest and we were living there. And we were going to a church and honestly, we loved our church. We had a good church. But there was a guy in that I was working with. He was a young guy. His name was Cameron. And Cameron was a guy that, man, he was going through a lot in his life. He didn't have a relationship with Jesus. He was, man, had had a kind of a rough upbringing. And, and he looked to me, kind of began to, we became friends and we had some lunch together and, and just trying to minister to him a little bit. And man, I was inviting him to church. And I thought, man, if I could get him, because I knew I wasn't going to stay in the Midwest long term, but if I could get him connected to a good church, I thought that would be helpful. And so the day came where he said he was going to come to church. And here's what I know. If you bring somebody to church with you, you look at your church a lot different than if you never bring somebody to church. And I remember that day. I remember that, that day when he came to church. I was like, man, I hope people really greet him well. Hope people really are nice to him in the parking lot. And, you know, you know, you think about things differently. And then, then he sat down and we were usually like third or fourth row back. And we're, he's sitting beside me. I remember I had Cameron. He, he wasn't dressed like he, I mean, he didn't know what he was supposed to wear. He just kind of wore whatever he wanted. Kind of looked like he just got out of bed. And then I had my, at that point, middle school son, Austin, on this side of me. And, you know, singing and, and everything took place. And then the pastor got up. And I was like, all right, you know, I was excited. Lord, do something in my friend's life. And then for like the first 10 minutes of the message, the pastor like went off on a rant, like a political rant. And I was literally sitting there thinking, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. My friend doesn't need to hear this. He needs Jesus. Please stop. All you're doing is basically the, the, the thought he had about church, you're basically telling him it was true. The thought he had about Christians, you're telling him, yes, that's what we're like. 
And, and, and this pastor wasn't that type of guy. It just happened to be that Sunday. He got off on a rant. And I just remember like inside, it's, it was just crushing me because I was like, my friend needs Jesus. And this isn't going to help him get that. And, and one of, for us as a church, one of the most important things we can do as a gathering is make sure Jesus is always the lead story. And here's why. Jesus is the only one that can save. Jesus is the only one that can heal a marriage. Jesus is the only one that can give hope when someone has lost someone that's close to them. Jesus is the only one that lived a sinless life and went to the cross and died in my place and your place, was put in a grave and then rose from the grave and offers restoration. He's the only one. That's why we have to keep Jesus the lead story. And, and I know for some of you, you, that frustrates you a little bit. You would never say that out loud. But you would love to hear a little bit more about politics. What do you really think, Chris, from up here? And I have opinions, and I'll have any discussion privately that you want to have. But this will never be a place where Jesus isn't the lead story while I'm here. That's the way it's going to be. Because that's what we need, and that's what our community needs. And, 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 and the worst thing, maybe, maybe you think that could happen, is that, man, that, that hey, we, we missed something or we're not on the front edge of, of something politically or something like this. That's fine because we want to be known about being about Jesus. And what Jesus believed, we believe. What Jesus, how he loved people, we want to love people. What Jesus invested in and was important to him, that's what we want. That's what we want to be as a gathering. But here's the thing. And here's maybe the most important thing that I'll say all morning. The enemy, he's going to be okay if we keep Jesus the lead story of our church as long as you don't make Jesus the lead story of your life. I mean, it's not going to damage what he's trying to do that much. If a guy like me gets up here and says, hey, our church is, man, Jesus is the lead story. What's going to do damage to what he's trying to do is if every single one of us as individuals makes Jesus the lead story of our life. That's when we impact eternity. And so that leads to a simple question. And the question is this, is Jesus your lead story? Personally. Not your dads, not your moms, not your kids, not your husbands, not your wives, but is Jesus your lead story? Like when people think about you in the community and the you know, places that you go, what do they think? Well, that's the guy, he's fired up about this, or that's the person, they're so bad, they love this. Or, or is Jesus the one, like, yeah, oh, that guy, he's fired up about Jesus. What, what, what do they think about you? Is Jesus the lead story of your life? Like, what are you known for? What, what agenda does your life promote? That's a good question for myself. Because even as a pastor, 
the church can become my lead story without Jesus being my lead story. And I can put a lot of time into the church, but is Jesus really the most important thing in my own life? Does my family see that? Does my neighbor see that? Does the person I interact with at the grocery store, the people that I may go to the gym with, do they see that? Is Jesus our lead story? And here's a couple questions I want, I want to leave you with as we close. As you think about, you know what, I don't know. Is, is Jesus, I mean, how do we even evaluate that? Well, let me give you a couple questions that as you walk through this week, just some questions to think about as you interact throughout your day. And the first one is, is pretty simple. How can I become more like Jesus? So when we're interacting, when we're going to work tomorrow, we're going to school tomorrow, when we're things are going good, things are going bad, a, a real great question to ask yourself is, hey, in this moment, in this circumstance, how could I become more like Jesus? And just by asking ourselves that question, that will help us keep Jesus our lead story. How can I, in this really good thing or in this really tough thing, like uh, this isn't an accident, how can I become more like Jesus? Another great question is, as we're interacting and as we're going through life, to ask ourselves, hey, how can I bring glory to Jesus? Like in this moment, how can, how can Jesus become more famous in this moment? How can this moment, this good thing or this bad thing or this thing that, eh, doesn't, not good or bad, how can in this moment Jesus become more famous? How can I become less and he become greater in the eyes of the people around me? It's a good question to ask as we seek to evaluate, is Jesus my lead story? There's a guy that you, you may have heard of. His name was C.T. Studd. Pretty cool last name. So, I mean, yeah, if you're going to be called something, that's not a bad thing to be called. Uh, but C.T. Studd, he was actually a famous cricketer. And so in America, cricket is not, you know, few people in here would probably keep up with cricket. But for most of us, that's not like, oh, man, I got to get home today and watch that. I don't even know if it's called a match, a game. But we're probably not running home today. You know, we've got our DVR set, so we make sure we tape the cricket. No. But, but in other countries, it's huge. And CT, he was, in, in England, he was like one of the best of his day. And he, he was well-known, and, and, and not only was he a great athlete, but he was pretty wealthy because at the age of 25, he inherited quite a bit of money. And so you got this guy who's about 25 years old. He's like this stud athlete in, in, in his country. He's really known because of, of, how, of playing cricket. He's well-known. He, he's super, you know, He's got a ton of money, a lot of opportunities for him. I mean, he's just famous. He's the guy, man. He's the guy you want to be. And, and it was in this time period that he was a follower of Jesus as well. And, and God began to really work in his heart. And he wasn't a perfect guy. If you read his story, there were some things. I mean, he wasn't perfect. But at the age of 25, he did something that people thought was absurd. He took his inheritance and he gave it all away. He left athletics, and for the rest of his life, he went to China, he went to India, he went to the Congo, went to a few other places, and bottom line, until he died at the age of 70, he aggressively got the message of Jesus out to people. 
And before he died, he wrote several things, but probably the most famous quote that you will ever hear from this guy, and you've probably heard other people quote it and you didn't know where it came from, was he wrote this not long before he died in a poem. And his, his statement is this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And is everybody supposed to give away their inheritance? Stop being an athlete? Basically move away from what they're really good at? Of course not. Maybe you are supposed to, but no, that's not, that's not what this is saying. But, but here's what I know, every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, every one of us is supposed to have Jesus the lead story of our life. And that might mean giving away your inheritance and going to Africa, going to the, you know, different places. It might mean that. That might be what God's call in your life is. It also might mean just, it might mean being a lighthouse in your neighborhood. It might be being a good dad. It might be being a good mom. It might be, you know, serving at your church. It might be doing something in your community. It's, it's, it's different for everybody, but everyone is called, if you're a follower of Jesus, to keep Jesus the lead story. And here's what I know. We're not going to regret one day as a church. We're not going to look back and say, man, 40 years ago, I wish we would have got on that agenda and just kind of left the Jesus thing alone. We're never going to say that. And here's what I would guess for you. If, if you decide that, hey, Jesus is going to be my lead story, you're not going to look back and say, wow, I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. I wish Jesus wouldn't have set the agenda for my life. I wish I wouldn't have been obedient to what he says. I wish I would have got off on other tangents and wasted my life in other ways. You will never regret keeping Jesus first in our life. And Paul wanted to communicate that to us now 2,000 years after he wrote that letter. And it speaks to us personally but it also speaks to us as a gathering that we always keep Jesus the lead story of our lives and our church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, it is so easy, it's super easy to get distracted. It's super easy to get distracted as individuals as we, man, we live in this world where news is 24-7. We live in this world where social media is just constant and there's messages that we're constantly being, you know, given. There's temptations and all kinds of things. It's just so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to move away from what we're called to. And that is keeping you our lead story. And as we kind of close our time in prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're watching online. If you're here and you'd say, hey, Chris, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. There has been a time in my life where I have, I have believed that Jesus died for me, that he rose from the grave. Man, I've, I've put my faith and trust in that. I've made that decision to follow Jesus. My question for you this morning is, man, even with a relationship with Jesus, Man, it is easy to get distracted. And so that question I asked earlier, is Jesus your lead story? 
Like if we were to ask people that know you best, that hang out with you throughout the week, what would they say? Just be honest, be honest. If not, what's keeping him from having that place in your life? Is it a lack, maybe a lack of trust? Is it, what, what is it? Is it maybe a sin issue? And what is it that's keeping you from making Jesus first in your life? Would you be willing to, to give that up? Would you be willing to trust God that his way is better? You don't have to. But, but I would encourage you to, man, think about it because Jesus' way is best and he has good for you but he's not going to force his way into first place you got to put him there maybe you're here you're watching online and for you you don't have a relationship with jesus maybe maybe you know you have some questions about faith maybe you've been hurt by the church you're a little skeptical of the whole jesus thing for you man, really the first step in making jesus your lead story is saying yes to a relationship with him. You say, Chris, how, how would I do that? How would I say yes? Well, I mean, it's just something you do in your heart, just between you and God. What we call it prayer. It's just communicating to God what's in our heart. And, and just tell God, just even right now in your heart, just tell God, God, I, I admit to you that I've sinned. I admit to you that I've tried to do things my own way. Just tell him. Just admit. And then just tell them right in this moment, whether you're online or you're here this morning, just just tell them, hey, I believe that Jesus, that you died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. I believe that. And then just give them an invitation. Just say, hey, come into my life. I want a relationship with you. I want to be reconciled, God. I want a relationship that's been broken to be healed. Just tell him. If you're here this morning and you'd say, hey, Chris, man, just in the quietness of this room, I I made that decision. Well, right in front of you, there's a little card that just says decision. And if you wouldn't mind filling that out as we kind of maybe go through the last song here in a second. We would love to know about your decision. We'd love to rejoice with you, maybe connect with you once this week through a text or a phone call. Would you just fill that card out and drop it maybe in the offering basket or you can take it to the next steps table? Maybe you're watching online and for you, you've made that decision. Well, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a decision card right there, just in the quietness of your room. Maybe you're listening to this on a podcast. Just fill that card out. That'll come to us. We would love to rejoice with you. Lord, help us as a church and as an individual to keep you our lead story. In Jesus' name, amen.